0: So we're here. In Hebrews chapter five, if we reminded the whole book of Hebrews, it's been about encouraging a young group of believers who were formerly Jews, right? They lived and they lived their lives in Judaism. The temple is still up and running in all of the glory of Herod's temple. There were still sacrifices. You could still smell the smell of barbecue, right? And the temple mount, the the cow and the goats being sacrificed. You would see the people all going, in a sense, attending church, if you would, in the temple. And now you have this new body of believers. And during the first, I believe, three centuries of Christianity, they didn't meet in larger buildings like we're used to or accustomed to. They would meet from house to house. That's how they would meet. There was nothing beautiful about it or amazing, right? They didn't have the beautiful landscaping that we have or the air conditioning or the comfortable chairs or the people that are gifted in worship, leading worship, the people that are gifted in media and doing different things. Those small groups of people, right? Hopefully, you'll be able to go back to Israel. And when you go to Israel, you see that the houses, they were tiny. They were the size of probably one of our rooms. Probably the size of the men's or women's bathroom here at the church. That was the size of the entire house. And that's how people would gather together as believers. So these new young believers, man, they're bummed out. They've perhaps lost out business. Perhaps their family has thrown them out. Perhaps they're feeling lonely. And they're thinking, why in the world am I going to stick to Christianity? So now the author, again, we don't know who it is. Many people think it's Paul, Apollos, Barnabas. We went through all of that in the first teaching. He's here to encourage them and remind them, hey, Jesus is better than anything else. Jesus is better than anything that Judaism has to offer us. He's better than angels, and the angels were the ones who gave the law to Moses. And he's better than the high priests. He's better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's better than anything and everything. And then we've had those two exhortations, right? That we need to be anchored into the Lord so that we don't drift away. We need to be anchored into that hope so we don't drift away without realizing it, without knowing it. And then last week we were encouraged to work to enter into that rest. And again, how the Lord, He's omniscient, He's omnipresent. What He told us, what He reminded of us last Wednesday. And then the week that we've had, the more, in a sense, tough news or rough news that we've received Remember, family, we need to work, we need to labor to enter into that rest with the Lord. But we're here in Hebrews chapter 5, and let's start in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, so that we can get the proper context of chapter 5. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it tells us, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... This was the introduction really into chapter 5, highlighting how Jesus is greater than the current high priest that the people in Israel were dealing with and how he's better than any other high priest that has ever existed. Right? Earthly high priests they could only go into the Holy of Holies, which was a model. It was a type of the throne room of God. But Jesus, right now, this very moment, He's in the throne room of God and he's mediating on our behalf. He's praying on our behalf. He's right, sympathizing with us. He can sympathize with our every weakness and every trial. He can sympathize with the difficulties that we have when it comes to having to obey the Lord, even though we may not want to, and having to obey the Lord, even if it feels like we're going to literally die. Or something's going to die off if I obey the Lord. Jesus, he's gone through all of that. And the final reminder here, and I need to constantly remind myself of this, is that Jesus' desire for us to obtain mercy and grace, it's greater than your desire to obtain mercy and grace. His desire for me to find him, his desire for me to find his will, his desire for me to link up with God and walk in his truth and his paths, His desire for me to do that is greater than my own desire for me to do that. Just being honest with you guys, a lot of ministry, a lot of my walk with the Lord, I just look at it as being a soldier. The Lord gives me orders. doesn't matter how I feel about it. I just have to obey the orders of the Lord. God's word said this is wrong. This is right. My feelings, they don't matter. God's word says this is true and this is right. So anything else, it's wrong. But sometimes, maybe not you, but sometimes I and we, right, we can lose track that he's not only our commander-in-chief, but as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, he's our brother. He's our friend. How God is our perfect father. So he's not just a drill sergeant giving us orders that we need to comply with and obey, but he's also our loving father that just wants to spend time with us and love on us and care on us. And we need the balance of all the roles of who God is. All the roles, right? All the hats that Jesus Christ wears. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. It tells us, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion On those who are ignorant and going astray. Since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. So now let's dive deeper into these verses, right? Verse 1, every high priest is taken, in a sense, picked, appointed. That's where we get that word ordained by God. And Christ, Aaron, every high priest that has ever existed, they were appointed by God. God selected them, right? I think of the movie Toy Story, I'm sorry, I have a lot of little kids. And there's these little aliens and they say the claw chooses who will go and who will stay, right? And in a sense, God, he chooses who the high priest is going to be. The high priest, thank God they didn't have debates, right? This high priest versus that high priest Let's see them debate and see who's better. You wouldn't have these corny slogans, right, of I'm your future high priest and I approve this message or anything like that. It was God who would appoint or ordain a man to become the high priest. And we'll look more into that later. And now God, as he ordains them, he appoints them. He says, hey, I'm going to pick you, Aaron, to be a high priest. For us today, a true pastor, a true shepherd, they don't really choose that calling. God puts that calling upon their life. And in a sense, they choose if they want to obey God's will or go against God's will, but it's God's calling on the life of a pastor. And this pastor, this high priest, he was appointed, he was chosen by God to represent the people before God and to represent God before the people, right? The mediator, we talked about that last week briefly. And he's the middleman between man and between God. And thank God we don't need that anymore. Now we can go as chapter 14 encourages us to go boldly to the throne of grace that we can come as children right A think of that quote who's the who's the only crazy person willing to bother a king in the middle of the night for a cup of milk it's his kid right it's the son or daughter i hope nobody here if you're in a true emergency you can call me at any time of day but who's the only one walking into my room telling me that they have to pee at three o'clock in the morning it's it's my daughter it's my 3-year-old daughter telling me that she needs to go to the bathroom at 3 in the morning and it's the same thing for us we can call out to the lord at any time at any moment be reminded he's not just our drill instructor he's not just the god of heaven and earth he's our father he's our friend he's our brother and now this high priest he would offer up both the gift offerings And the sin offerings for the people. And there was a difference between these two offerings. You see, sin offerings would require blood. Something had to die for our sins. And even currently today, something has to die for our sins. Now back in the Old Testament, when this was all going on, even in the New Testament, during this time when you would sacrifice something, you would literally put your hand on the head of the animal that was being slaughtered, you would see the animal go from life to death. You would see the twitches, you would see the screaming, the agony, you would see the blood and the life flowing out of that animal, out of that creature. To remind you, the wages of sin is death. And it would be bloody. I'm sure that there was blood splattered. We know that the high priest, every time they would take the blood and they'd put it on their earlobe, they'd put it on their thumb and on their big toe, right, to represent everything they think or hear, everything they do with their hands and everywhere they walk would be holy and sanctified by the Lord. But now the next sacrifice, which should be an encouragement and exhortation to us, is gift offerings to the Lord. Offerings of thankfulness. And gratitude to God. Spontaneous gifts given to the Lord. And these gifts, they didn't require blood. It could have been something cooked up. That's where you get the grain offering and different offerings like that. And family, are we giving the Lord offerings just simply to tell him thank you? Simply to tell him, hey, I love you. I'm glad. I'm grateful for the life that you have blessed me with, Lord. Right? What are the sometimes the sweetest gifts that we get in our lives? gifts that have no rhyme or reason just a random day and your husband or wife they bring you a gift they bring you flowers chocolates right they give you a gift card to home depot or a new fishing rod out of nowhere and you're just blown away it's just spontaneous that's the heart we should have for the lord it should be a given that we're seeking repentance for our sins Because that's the only way we can be right before God is if we are seeking that repentance for our sins. But now are we doing extras to just say, Lord, I'm thankful for you. God, I'm grateful for everything you've given to me and to my life. Verse 2, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weaknesses. Again, the high priest, it wasn't an animal, it wasn't an alien life form, it wasn't a tree. He was a man just like all the people he served. He was subject to their same weaknesses, he was subject to their same temptations, so ideally he would be compassionate towards the people. Again, what's the mark of Christ? He's compassionate to us. As we read in chapter 4, he knows our weaknesses. He's gone through everything that we've gone through. Christ has sat in a prison cell all alone with no one. Christ has seen all his best friends and family members leave him and disown him in the moment when he needed the most. It says that he slept in places and he didn't have a home. He didn't have his own bed. He didn't have his own refrigerator. Christ knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that we've gone through. Again, we'll see in a moment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's being literally torn. His blood vessels are popping because of the stress of obeying God's will compared to the death, compared to the separation with God the Father, compared to so much. So whenever we're going through a difficult situation, cry out to that, our high priest. Come boldly as a son and as a daughter, not as a theologian. Come as a son or a daughter crying out to our Father, right? Abba, Father. That's how we cry out to Him. And this high priest, he had to correctly represent the people to God and correctly represent God to the people. And Jesus, He's perfect. He's fully God and He's fully man. And again, that compassion, how we need that compassion, Hopefully, your pastors, right, if you call Calvary Chapel, Miami, your church, hopefully the pastors here are filled with compassion for the people. That when you're going through tough times, we're praying for you, family. We know so many of you have lost your jobs. Some of you have friends and family members in in an assisted living facility. We're brokenhearted for those things. We need to be compassionate. Same as this high priest. That he wasn't some type of just butcher, right? That you'd come and bring your animal to him and he wouldn't say anything to you. He would just start slaughtering your animal, sprinkle some blood on you and say, all right, next. Right? That's not what the people wanted. He wasn't some master of the barbecue that he would just take your sacrifice and chop it all up and put the right amount of stuff and just send you on your way. Thank the Lord. He, hopefully he wasn't some type of just animal serial killer and the high priest would just have this lust for death and animals, right? Be super weird, super creepy. Nobody would want to go to him. But the high priest, he knew that his sins required the same payment as all of mankind. right? Every pastor should know, all, every man should know that the best of men are men at best. The Lord, he allows certain Bible characters, right? Certain men and women in history that seem frustrating to us to remind us, I'm just like them. On Sunday, we looked at Jacob and Esau. We looked at Isaac and Rebekah. And we could get frustrated with them. We could look at Lot and get frustrated with him. Abraham, get frustrated with him. Peter, get frustrated with him. But then hopefully you realize they're just like me. And we need to be compassionate towards one another. The high priest, he had to be compassionate towards the people. He had to have that natural compassion for the people. If not, he'd be filled with pride. And bad things always happen when we are filled with pride. Verse 3, because of this he is required, as for the people, he's not above any of the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. In this day and age for the high priest, there were many commands that God had given them to carry the people of Israel in their hearts They would wear an ephod, right? You can almost think of a a little bulletproof vest or a little vest that they would have. And it would have the 12 stones with the names inscribed and engraved on them. And now the leather straps that would hold the ephod would also have the 12 tribes written on them. This would represent the fact that the high priest was to have the people on his heart daily. The second way the high priest was to have compassion for the people is that he needed to make sure he was right before God. Before he would offer sacrifices for the people. Before he would enter into the Holy of Holies, he had to be certain that he was right before God. Often he would have to offer sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of his sins before he could offer any sacrifice for anyone else. And that's a warning to us. That's a warning to us pastors. There's a slippery slope when the only time we read or study our Bible is for Bible study. And hey, it's a good thing to have Bible study, but we need to make sure that I'm spending time with God on my own. Separate of the Bible studies I'm going through, right? You're teaching kiddos, you're trying to share a Bible study with your family. Perhaps the Lord's put it on your heart to start a home fellowship. Make sure that the only time you're spending time with God, that it's not for that Bible study. Because now your relationship with the Lord, more and more, it's going to feel, it's going to truly be weighed in your performance in that Bible study. And that's not the case. My relationship with God, all those other titles don't matter. It's just a son and a father. And we have to be careful with that. So often we can think, hey, my relationship to God is based on this role that I serve, this role that I have, and that's dangerous. That's a very shaky foundation to have your identity in. That's why people, they go through identity crises, right? I thought I was this job. I thought I had this relationship. I thought I had this kid. I thought I was this pastor. Now this thing is taken from me, and I'm freaking out all of a sudden because those things change. But the relationship of God the Father with us as his sons and daughters, the relationship of Jesus Christ as our brother, Jesus Christ as our high priest, now those roles, they never change. So now when that's our identity, man, you've got the right foundation. You're locked in. You can write down Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1 through 6. And here, Aaron's two sons, they... they Did terrible things. They offered profane fire before the Lord. And in verse 2 it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before their mercy seat which is on the ark lest he die. For I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat and thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. We jump down to verse 6. Leviticus chapter 16 and there it tells us Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his household. Again the priest would have to offer sacrifices for his sins first before he could begin offering sins offerings for the people. Again the reminder that Any pastor, any high priest, any leader, church leader, church goer, church member is not above anyone else. But all of us, we suffer from the same weaknesses. That should lead us to have more compassion for one another. Not pride, not anger, not resentment, not looking down on one another, but a true compassion for the body of believers. And even there, as it says, even for unbelievers, we should have compassion for them. Because I'm just like them. I'm a sinner just like them. Verse 4. No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. Again, we talked about this for a little bit. The position of a high priest that wasn't an office chosen by man. It was God himself that would call the man into the office of high priest. There's no debates, there's no campaign trails, no corny commercials. It would simply be God would call the man and each time someone tried to take the office of high priest, every time someone tried to act like a high priest, death would usually follow. That's what would happen when someone would try to take the role or the position of being the high priest. You have Korah, him and his family and anyone that was on his side, they literally were swallowed up. By the earth, when he tried to take the role from Aaron. You have King Saul. He was getting annoyed with Samuel, so he just says, Man, he's taking too long, he's taking too long, he's taking too long. I'm gonna just offer the sacrifice. What happened? He was rejected, and the throne and crown would be ripped away from him. Finally, Uzziah, he was instantly struck with leprosy in the temple when he came and he decided, Hey, I'll just offer these sacrifices and this incense before the Lord instantaneously he was struck with leprosy. Again, no man should just assume the place of being a pastor. It needs to be a calling from the Lord. has to be a calling from the Lord. Verse 5 and 6. So also Christ, he did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, family, in the same way as all the other high priests, Jesus, he didn't glorify himself or put himself into the position of a high priest. But it is God the Father who appointed Jesus, called him, right, into this position of a high priest for us. And now he sits in this role forever. This is his role forever. He is our high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. We can turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. This is where we get these two quotes here in verse 5 and in verse 6. And the book of Psalms, it's an amazing book. Again, if you're a new believer or even an older believer, it's important to read through the book of Psalms. And it's a book of so much poetry, so much emotion. But there's a lot of prophecy also In the book of Psalms. And in chapter 2, verse 7, it tells us there, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Again, the Lord, he called him, Hey, you are my son, right? And now in Psalm 110, we turn there. And in verse 4, this is where we get, again, the prophecy of Jesus coming and how he's a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4. And it reads, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And we'll go into that more in Hebrews chapter 7. You get a deep dive into Melchizedek and his priesthood. And we'll see there how Jesus and the priesthood of Melchizedek is far greater than the priesthood of Aaron. I'll take a a quick rant here. I don't like Aaron that much, right? He's the first high priest ever. But he did some really dumb things. And he made a lot of dumb excuses, right? You have the leader of the people of Israel, Moses. He's... Fasting for 40 days and 40 nights on a mountaintop to spend time with God. And what does the number two do in charge? He creates an idol. And now the people are naked worshiping this idol. Moses is coming down and he's like, is that war going on? And he's like, no, that's people partying, right? Those drums, is not people going to war or battle. No, it's people partying. That's what's happening. So Moses gets down there, he says, hey bro, Right? His brother Aaron, what is going on here? And Aaron just goes, I don't know. I just asked the people for all their gold and I threw it in the fire and out popped out this calf. It's a miracle, right? And he's literally lying to him. So Aaron, he's not the perfect high priest. And yet the Lord still used him and the Lord used him mightily. Again, why is Aaron in there all messed up and all jacked up as a, as a high priest, as a leader for God's people? Because I'm jacked up and I'm messed up and I need the grace of God. But now you have Melchizedek and not only does he have a cooler name than Aaron, but he's perfect. You don't see any sin in him and he's around before Aaron and Moses. He's the one that we saw in the book of Genesis that he sits down with Abraham. And not only is he a high priest, but he's also a king at the same time, right? A picture of Jesus and who he is. But we continue verse 7 who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Right? Who is this talking about? Now it's talking about Jesus. That even Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he had to pray and he had to seek the Lord for help in his weaknesses. This is speaking of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, weeping and sweating blood in his crying out to the Lord. And what are his prayer partners doing, right? What's his prayer chain doing? They're all knocked out of sleep, right? Right by him. A stone's throw away. And yet Christ Jesus is going through all this. Verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. David Guzik. He says, this answers the question, how can this glorious, enthroned Jesus know what I am going through down here? He knows because obedience did not always come easy for Jesus. Obedience, a lot of times, family it's not easy. But it's r- what is required of us as Christians, right? When we say that I'm a Christian, when we say that I'm a believer, what we are saying is, I'm going to obey God and His word No matter how I feel, no matter my emotions, no matter what it's going to cost me, I am going to obey. We have to be reminded, did Jesus want to be separated from the Father and the Holy Spirit? The first time in all of eternity that you have this triune God being separated, did he want that separation? Did Jesus want to have all the sins of mankind placed upon him? A man, a God who is perfect, having never sinned, and yet now he has to have all the sin of mankind for all the years that men have done terrible things, the worst of the worst. Do you think he wanted to have that placed upon him? Do you think Jesus wanted to taste of the cup of wrath from God? You think he wanted that? Yes, give me that wrath. No, but he still obeyed. He still obeyed, and family, that's what we have to do. We need to obey, even when we don't want to, even when it's not fun, even when it's not cute, even when it costs us something. We need to obey. We can turn to Luke chapter 22, and here we see Jesus in his agony and pain and To be honest with you, read the Gospels for yourself. It seems as if Jesus goes through more agony and pain in the garden of Gethsemane than he does on the cross. I'm reminded of David and how he goes through more agony when the baby born from the sin of him and Bathsheba is still alive. He's in agony. He's in pain. He is weeping. He has sackcloth and ashes on him. Then once the baby passes away and in Luke chapter 22 verse 42... We can start off in verse 41. It says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. This is how exhausted and tired Jesus was having to face the reality of having the sin of mankind upon him. Having to be separated from God and having to have the cup of wrath poured out upon him. The angel comes, strengthens him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and came to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Again, family, Jesus accepted that God's will was greater than his own. He accepted that. That was the life he lived. God's will is greater than my own. What the Bible says is right and wrong is greater than what I say is right or wrong. Or than our nation says, or Hollywood says, or music says. What God's word says is right and wrong, hey, that's greater than me. That's more important than me, right? We live in a day and age where truth supposedly is subjected. It depends who you are, what you've come through. That's what truth means. No, truth doesn't care about our emotions. Truth doesn't care about our feelings. Truth doesn't care how we were raised or what we went through. Truth is truth. Now we need to be compassionate, right? We need to be loving. We need to understand what people have gone through, how they've been raised up. What they know and what they don't know. And that's why we need to share and speak the truth in love, right? Even there, Jesus, he's going through all this and he does it right. He says, He's a stones throw away from the disciples. He didn't literally start grabbing stones and throwing it at them to wake them up. He comes to them in compassion and says, Hey, man, hey, you guys should wake up. Temptation's coming at any moment. You should probably get ready, right? We need to be compassionate, but the truth is the truth. Verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, family, we know that Jesus is perfect. This is speaking, this word perfect is speaking of being complete or coming to full age, right? When you're downloading something and there's a bar and it finally hits 100%, that's what it's talking about. Once Christ fully obeyed God... As he was a man and having to go through everything that Jesus had to go for on our behalf, then he became perfect, he became complete in becoming the author of eternal salvation. Why? Because he obeyed the Father. So now guess what we have to do as Christians, as little Christs, right? As us needing to become and be a kingdom of priests to God. How do we need to live? James chapter 1, verse 22, right? Let's turn there quickly. How should I live? Jesus did all this. He obeyed even when it was tough, even when it was difficult. How do I need to live? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 22. And it tells us, sorry, James chapter 1, verse 22. And it tells us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Family, we need to be doers. If that word doesn't make sense to you, just write down obeyers, right? We need to be obeyers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because then we will deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves if we're constantly listening to Bible teachings. But if we do nothing about it, you can't deceive yourself. We'll look at that later at the end of the chapter. Verse 10 and 11. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Right? The author, he wanted to take a deep dive right away on the subject of Jesus as our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. But he had to wait till chapter seven or till later in the chapter, later in the book. Why? Because they had become dull of hearing. This is important for us that. As believers, there takes a great amount of humility for us to truly accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Right? First and foremost, we have to say, I am wrong. I'm dead in my sins. Jesus is the only way to heaven. I need forgiveness. That takes a lot of humility. And you are a doer of the word right there. You you are willing to hear. But as believers, we can grow to a point where we become dull of hearing. Right? Maybe you have a knife in your house and you haven't sharpened it in a long, long time. It gets dull and now you're trying to cut that chicken breast and it's just like, what is going on here, right? You might as well just take your hand and right? just try to karate chop that chicken breast because that knife is super dull and it can't cut through anything. Family, our ears have to constantly be tuned to hearing from the Lord. Read the book of Proverbs. All throughout the book of Proverbs, it talks about that we need to want to hear wisdom and we need to tune our ears to hear wisdom. That over time we can become dull of hearing. It's a rut, it's a holy rut, but it's still a rut. And we can hear the word of God over and over and over. Oh, there's there's Zach again, there's a the Bible again, there's Jesus, there's there's salvation, there's high priest, yeah, I know all that. We can become dull of hearing. Proverbs 28, verse 9, it warns us. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Guys, that's a scary verse, right? Husbands, if you're not loving your wife, if you're hurting her physically or verbally, if you're not treating her as the weaker vessel, if you're not loving on her and studying her, your prayers are hindered. Why? Because you're not hearing God. You're turning away from the law of loving your wife as Christ has loved the church. So now the same is true for all of us. Any man, any woman who turns away from hearing the law, even your prayer, it's an abomination to God. Because in a sense, then we're just coming to God as our genie. You're not my king, right? We've, we've said that a couple of times. We want the kingdom without the king. We want the kingdom of what Christianity is, what Christianity looks like. I want the love your neighbor as yourself. I do not want the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I do not want that if I'm on the receiving end of it. If I'm going to give it to someone, yeah, yeah, I want to give it to them. But me have to pay every parking ticket that I deserve? No, no, no. Please, please, please. Grace, 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 right? But now we need to continue to hear The Lord. And not just say, hey, God, I want all your goodness, but I don't want you. That's terrible. That's horrible. Right? Imagine a marriage. Hey, honey, I love you. I just want your money, but I don't want to spend any time with you. Terrible, terrible marriage, right? Hey, honey, I just want the sexual intimacy with you, but I never want to talk to you or have to deal with your emotions or mood swings. That marriage is over, right? And that's how we treat the Lord. God, I want your blessings in my life. I want my kids to act right. I want my kids to obey me. But Lord, go to church? I don't want to do that. Have to take my kids to church when, it's, when I'm tired after working? I don't want to do that. And that's saying, Lord, I want all your blessings, but I don't want you. And now we become dull of hearing. Because I don't want to hear it. Hey, God, I don't want to hear it. Hey, I don't want to hear it. We can get to that point. We keep reading verse 12 and 13, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Let's break this down verse by verse. There's a lot of meat here. That's why I love the book of Hebrews, right? By now you should be teachers, right? It says you have become dull of hearing. This body of believers didn't start off being dull of hearing. They got to that point. And now the author of Hebrews says right now you should be a teacher at this point. You should be your own pastor. You should be a kiddo's ministry worker. But now you need someone to teach you the first principles? What's going on, guys? You should be more mature than you are right now. You've been a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Has your life changed? Is your life continuing to look more and more like Christ? Or now have you need to come to need milk once again and not solid food? Family, I challenge you, what are you posting on social media? Hey, you Christian, what are you posting? Are you just talking trash about other Christians? Or are you proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What do you post about your family, right? Hopefully you don't just post all your arguments with your other family members. You post all the cute pictures of the kids and the abuelos and the abuelitas, right? That's what you post. As believers, there's so many Christians that all they post is just talking trash about the family of Christ. And that's not what unbelievers need right now. What they need right now is the hope of the gospel, the hope of heaven, the hope of Christ. You should be a teacher, but you're acting like a baby that needs milk once again family how are we acting right by now you should be a teacher you should be a leader in the church i love that quote by tozer there are some believers who are not satisfied with the first grade who are you are you just a first grader that has had to repeat it 20 times right i'm a one-year-old christian 20 times over right is that who you are Or can you say, no, man, I've been studying the Lord for 20 years. And I've had my ups and downs, but I'm doing, Lord, I'm trying to hear you more and more. I'm trying to have a heart of humility more and more. Lord, you've opened the door for me to be a teacher. Lord, you've opened the door for me to be a kiddo's ministry worker. Lord, you've opened the door for me to serve more. Lord, you've opened the door for me to be a leader or a pastor. Lord, I accept this in humility I accept this being as compassionate as I can to the people. But Lord, I don't want to have to go back to milk. I want that solid food, right? I'll be honest with you guys. I love steak. I absolutely love steak. My kids, especially my little daughter, well, she, lo- she likes steak too. But she loves chocolate milk. And that's what she's crying out for. When I have a deep craving for something, it's for a big, juicy ribeye. Or filet mignon, right? A porterhouse, a T bone steak, a churrasco. Those are my cravings. What are my daughter's cravings? Again, at five in the morning, cheche, right? Chocolate milk. That's what she craves. Now, how sad for my life if now I would not be able to eat milk, uh, be able to eat steak anymore. Hey, Zach, you can no longer eat meat. Zach, you can't chew any food. It's only milk from here on out, right? I feel for the family as they get older and older. Hey, you can't eat anything. You just have to drink for forever, right? That's all you can drink from here on out. That hurts. That's difficult. But there's some people that they're still so immature with the Lord. What happens if they get steak? They'll choke on it. What happens if they're given a Bible study that's longer than an hour? They choke on it. What happens if they're given a Bible study that's just plain and simple? Hey, that's boring, the word of God is boring? Yeah, that's boring, right? Heaven, that's boring. People, they died for this gospel. They died for the word of God, but it's boring for me. I want, I want more pizzazz, right? We need to be careful with that. Now, we should be working in excellence. We should be doing the best we can to share and proclaim the gospel. Now, that shouldn't be an excuse to say, hey, no electricity, no nothing, just the Bible and nothing else. Don't use that as an excuse either. But we need to find that middle ground. Hey, Lord, you've given us tools and blessings, but the word of God is still the main thing. Because the world, they have a lot better tools than we do. They have a lot more money than we do. They have a lot more talent than we do. But what is the thing that's alive, that's breathing, that's sharper than any two-edged sword? It is the word of God. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes of only milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Again, if you're a baby believer, there's nothing wrong with needing milk. There's nothing wrong for that one-year-old, that two-year-old, that three-year-old, right? That five-year-old that is on milk. But now if you have a 12-year-old and it's lunchtime at school and they open up their lunchbox and all they have is a bottle, right? And they sit there, there's problems. Problems are arising, right? If you show up to work, you're 18, you're 25 years old and you show up to your job and Hey, what do you got? For, hey, you want steak? Hey, you want to go here? You want Chipotle? You want to go this? No, no, I, I'm good, man. You, un, right, you unzip it, and you got your little sippy cup, and you're just sitting there. That's wrong. That's not right. So everyone of who only partakes of milk, they are unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So what is the mark of maturity and unmaturity? It's being unskilled in the word of righteousness. Family, how much of the word do you know? How much of the word do you know? Do you study the Word of God? Do you read the Word of God? Again, it's an anomaly for people to read their Bible more than once a week or more than once a month. It's an anomaly for someone to read their Bible every day, every morning, right? Think of Daniel, morning, noon, and night. That's an anomaly. But this is how you mature and grow in the Word of God, right? How do you put on muscle? How do you get stronger? How do you grow? It's by eating, eating good food. The kids that are malnourished in in other countries, why do they look so weak and frail? Because they're not eating enough. They're not eating enough protein, right? Enough of real food. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I was listening to a teaching and they said, It is impossible to be a mature believer if you are unskilled in the Word of God. It is impossible to be a mature believer if you are unskilled in the Word of God. But it is possible to be skilled in the Word of God and still be immature. All right? You get that balance? You need, right? It's impossible to be a mature believer if you're unskilled in the Word of God. But. Right? However, it is possible to be skilled in the word of God and still be immature. God's word, it warns us. Knowledge puffs up, but love, it edifies. And sometimes people, they study God's word so much, but they leave their hearts out of the equation. They leave right that relationship of son to daddy. That's out of the equation. Now I'm just looking at him as this all-knowing being, all-knowing creator, who he is. But that's the only scope that I look at him with. So now I know all these big words. I know all these things. But you can still be an immature Christian. You can spend all your time at church and still be an immature Christian. You can know the Bible more than anyone else and still be an immature Christian. I think of the greatest, in a sense, evangelist, maybe pastor of our time, Billy Graham. You watch his teachings... There weren't many big words there, right? It was simple. And that man was mature in his walk with the Lord. All, so many pastors, their lives are marked with problems, with catastrophes, with sin, with questionable things. This man lived his life righteous before the Lord. And you see all his children walking and serving the Lord. That's a great mark of maturity. You don't need to be super smart in the things of God. Some people, they get it wrong, they get it twisted. They think, I need to know more of God, and then I'll be able to worship him. That's not necessarily the case, right? The disciples, they spent years and years with Jesus, and he'd say, man, well, you don't even know what spirit you're from. And then you have these women that would come weep at the feet of Jesus. They just knew of the weight of their sin and the depths of his forgiveness, and Christ would be blown away. The widow with the two mites, and he's blown away. The centurion having faith, and he's blown away. So it's not just a mark of, I know so much of the Bible, therefore I am smarter and greater than you know. It's that relationship and friendship with Christ Jesus. Now what is that mark of mature and immature? First, you need to know the word of God, but it is discernment. It is discernment. And you gain that discernment by use, by exercise. You're working that discernment. And what is that discernment for? Knowing the difference between good and evil. And not just knowing the difference, acting on the difference between good and evil. You see, babies, they're constantly putting bad and random things in their mouths, right? Hey, rock, let's see what that tastes like, right? And they just throw it in their mouth. Lego piece, eh, it looks good, it's colorful, let me throw it in there. Babies, they have no discernment with what to put in their mouths and not put in their mouths. But as they grow older, as they've exercised those things, as they've done those things, as they've gone through those things, they have more discernment. And we need that discernment. It's not enough just to know, hey, this is bad for me. Hey, if I eat that rock, it's not really good for me. That's not enough. It's don't put the rock in your mouth. That is the mark of growing and becoming more and more mature. And it does, family, it takes exercise it takes our senses being heightened it takes being filled with the holy spirit and again what is the chief fruit of the holy spirit it's love it's love how will they know that we are his disciples love that's the mark of a mature christian really it's love and holiness That's the mark of a true Christian because not only can they discern between good and evil, but now they're living in that discernment. They're saying, hey, God, your will is above my will. Your good and evil is above my good and evil. So even the people during the book of Hebrews, hey, they had grown immature. They had become dull of hearing. They didn't start there, but they grew there. So for us, hey, same encouragement is for us. First and foremost, we have a great high priest who is forever looking to mediate on our behalf. He's gone through all our weaknesses and then some. We can pray to him. We can cry out to him. No matter what you're going through right now. No job, having a job, whatever you're going through, Christ, he knows what you're going through. And he wants to strengthen you and encourage you and fill you. The next thing, hey, don't become dull of hearing God's word. Study God's word. Eat up God's word. And now, what's the last thing? Exercise it. Discern and exercise it. Discern and exercise it. We need all of that in order to grow and mature as believers. And again, family, the Lord, He wants you to mature. He wants me to mature even more than I want it, even more than you want it. So, again, I love that song. He is for you, He is for me. He wants us to mature. He's not trying to make this super hard or super difficult. He wants us to mature.